We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today joining us is Anthony Oni, who's the managing partner and CEO of Elevate Future Fund, which is part of the Energy Impact Partners and also the founder of Cloverly. Let's jump in and get to know Anthony. Anthony, how are you? Welcome. I am great. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's good to be with you all. Absolutely. We're pumped you're hanging out with us and can't wait to talk to you about so many things, like your great experience with many awesome companies and then also what you're up to these days. So tell us a little bit about what's going on these days with the Elevate Future Fund, and also with Energy Impact Partners. We are doing some really fantastic things, I think, in the clean energy space. So just to kind of give you background, I am an investor with a new fund, one of the latest funds that is part of Energy Impact Partners called the Elevate Future Fund. And this fund is really focused on creating capital opportunities for people of color, diverse founders, in the clean tech space. And so I am currently raising a $120 million fund. We're halfway there and really excited to be talking about that great work and this this nexus of diversity and also clean energy. Energy Impact Partners, by way of background, is one of the largest clean energy investment funds in the world. It started back in 2015 by our founder, Hans Kohler, who spent a lot of time working at GE. But it is now a $2.5 billion fund. We've got funds that really focus on access to capital from early stage to pre-IPO. We are in North America and in Europe, and the team is just growing fantastically. So I'm really pretty jazzed about the opportunity that came about last year to be part of this, we call it a platform, that helps in the energy transition, the clean energy transition. That's really cool. I can't wait to ask you a little bit more about your background, because you have a a great history in the energy sector. And then not only that, some more about the exciting work there, because it seems like you've identified something really, really special and different. But before you started doing all that, tell us a little bit about Anthony Oni and like, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family. Where are you from? Where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born in Morristown, New Jersey. And I I say that I was raised in a lot of different places. And I, I can touch on those if you'd like. But my father was an engineer at Bell Labs. And I don't know if you guys remember Bell Labs, but if you go back in the history, Bell Labs was a precursor to a lot of the different innovations that we actually use today. So he was a very much an engineer engineer. Take him back. Tell him, tell him oh, about Bell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now you've got all this, you know, I think before Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley, most of the innovations that you had in the 70s and 80s came out of Bell Labs. So just a lot of, a lot of work. So my dad was an engineer and I grew up in a, very much an engineering household, which is the double-edged sword, uh, so to speak. In one sense, you learn a lot because, you know, my father, every time something broke in the house, we never went to the store. He always tried to fix it. So I grew up fixing everything that broke and working alongside him. And then the downside is you end up fixing everything that's broke. Uh, <laughs> but we moved around a lot growing up. So I was fortunate to live in New York for a while, lived in London lived in Africa and Nigeria, which is just a fantastic experience, especially when you think about growing up in the States and going back to the motherland. And then came back to the States, lived in um, North Carolina, then moved to Alabama, which is fantastic as well. And I'm now currently in the ATL, Atlanta, Georgia. So 
I still say I got raised in a lot of different places. I'm still being raised now. Uh, Atlanta is a beautiful city. I think it's one of the obviously fastest growing cities in the country. I think it's the black capital of the South. Really loving it so far. That's amazing. And in so many different places, truly different places, one from another, right? How do you think that's sort of like shaped who you are today? How's that had an impact on you and how you sort of go about everything that you do? Yeah, you know, it, it really has had a probably an outsized impact on who I am today, mostly because when you're growing up and you have to move as much as we did from drastically different places, it really gives you a sense of being adaptable. And I think I had to learn that early on, especially going from school to school and in different environments. So just knowing how to adapt. Even later in life, you know, I had a chance to go live a month in India and and I stayed only uh, two days in the hotel while I was there. So just this notion of being able to adapt in the different environments that you're in was, was something I, I learned early on. The other thing that I think it did for me was really helped me appreciate lenses of life, right? And understanding different cultures and just different people and where they're coming from. A lot of times we have a bias and orientation from you know, your perspective as a whole. But when you're forced to be in different environments, you you need to have an appreciation for the different lenses in which people view the world, how they view problems, how they view challenges. And so I think that was part of the takeaways for me. And then ultimately, I, I say this to my kids a lot, you know, you are the sum of what you've learned from the exposure you've had in life. And I think that exposure in the different environments that we lived in was really key for helping me be who I am today. I love that that saying that you just said, because we previously had a guest on the podcast and he talked about his kids and talked about growing up and traveling. And one of the things that he said was travel is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to kids because of basically just because of what you said, right? Being able to see the world through your own lens and make up your own thoughts and opinions about people, right? And and the more you get to know different types of people, right? And have that understanding, then the less biased that you are against them. Absolutely. And it's so important, especially what you just said as relates to so many things that we we see today and realizing that we share this, our communities, we share this city and the state and, and this world with so many different people. And it's good to have that perspective of how other people are, are viewing the world. It's critical. So yeah, that's probably one of the best things I've, I've enjoyed. And even today, as I have, as I am a father of two boys, it's really important that wife and I, as we talk, we're being very deliberate about the exposures that we get to our kids, right? And making sure that they do have a more well-rounded upbringing and and granted, you know, they don't struggle as, as I'm sure you, all of us struggle growing up, but we make up for that by the things that we expose them to, not only different places, but just some of the circumstances and environments that we put them in. Yep, yep. I want to bring you back a little bit to the work you're doing today, especially in the, the clean energy space. Tell us more about that. Why are you so passionate about that space, that industry? Why do you love it? Man, we can spend two hours talking about this. Um, <laughs> in the top line. I'm super excited about the clean energy transition in the space for, for a couple of different reasons. One is it's needed, right? When you just take a macro view of the planet and Earth and all the challenges that we're seeing with climate change, this is probably one of the most important things we all to be working on as a whole. And so I'm really excited to be part of that and be on the venture side of that and making sure that we're providing capital to just a ton of smart people 
across the globe who are coming up with just incredible solutions in, in how to tackle this. I'm also excited primarily for the opportunity that it's going to provide, especially for people of color. I often talk about, you know, the transitions and shifts, economic shifts that we've, we've had in the past. And I talk about the shift we saw in the 90s, the dot-com boom that we saw, and really how trillions and trillions of dollars of capital went to fuel what is now just, you know, one of the fastest growing economies that we've ever seen in our world. And when I think about the clean energy transition and you know, this focus on climate change, without a doubt, you know, when you think about the fact now that there's over $70 trillion, trillion dollars of community capital across the globe, and probably by all accounts, that number is probably fairly, fairly low, but it's a lot higher than what I've estimated. When you think about that, and you think about the opportunity that exists and making sure that more people of color participate in this economy, this is going to be huge. It's going to be bigger than the internet. And when we take lessons from the past and realize that, hey, you know, not everybody, especially people of color, did not really, you know, gain a ton from the economic shift we saw in the 90s with, with the technology uh, and digital transformation we saw. And, and by and large, we saw the West Coast wing, California, San Francisco, Silicon Valley wing, rural America, Western America didn't went out of that. And people of color didn't went out of that. There were minted billionaires that have forever money. And so it's really important that we have people of color diverse communities participate in what is going to be a huge economic shift in solving one of the largest issues and challenges facing the world today, which is climate change. Okay, cool. And I want to bring it over to the VC side a little bit as well too, right? And talk about some of the diversity challenges there as well, because I think that that's also part of it. I mean, we always sort of throw up the numbers of women founders or people of color founders or black founders. And I think to sort of solve that in many ways and increase those numbers, you need more people that look like them that actually have the capital in a position to fund those businesses, right? So as a Black man, you know, a venture capital, right? Talk to me a little bit about that, right? Sort of navigating that side of it, if you will. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think you know the stats you've actually talked about on some of your shows in the past. This is a space where the numbers just don't favor, you know, people of color. Right now, you're still in a situation where less than 1%, or right around 1% of the people of color, African-Americans, get access to, to capital. They're about only 3% of African-Americans in the venture space. So when you talk about just access to capital, it is still a struggle, and it's something that we're looking to change. I think we have seen a shift just in the past 24 months or so, especially after the incident of George Floyd, where... We're seeing a lot more commitments of capital coming into play, which is great. And I think if we were to even realize half of what we saw or what we've seen in the commitments, I think it would represent a huge sea change in economic and generational wealth for many, especially in communities that sorely need to participate in new economies. But it's still a challenge. And so I think part of what we're doing at the Elevate Future Fund, specifically around clean energy transition, is a host of things to try to tackle that. One is we are primarily focused on early stage investments. And so we are seeking out those incredible people of color who are doing some amazing things. One that I would highlight that I just love is uh, Camille Terry, who is a founder and CEO of a company called Charge It Health. And this is probably a really good example of why we are focused on this, because you know, for a while, when you think about capital, you're always obviously focused on the financial returns that you get as an investor. 
part of what we're challenging and you know, what we're putting forward as a thesis is that you can have great financial returns, you can have impact to the environment and social impact in the communities that you serve. These are not mutually exclusive concepts when it comes to investment. And when I think about what Camille Terry is doing with Charger Health, I think she's a great example. This is an entrepreneur that came, came out of Compton. She grew up in a part of town that was socioeconomically challenged. And she had an idea that's participating in the clean energy transition in providing a platform to maintain and repair electric charging stations. When you just think about the, the sheer number of EVs that are coming online and the shift that we're seeing, it's going to be huge. But I can tell you that there are just a ton of, of these charging stations that are in disrepair. You have the initial capital that comes out and they're not being repaired. So she had this great idea to come up with a company to service these. But one of the things that we love about her is not only is she participating in something that is it's going to be a growing market, it's just servicing EVs and the platform that she's creating, this digital platform to dispatch service text to go fix it. But she is also uniquely created from the ground up as part of her startup, a workforce training program that retrains people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, giving them high paying jobs, good wages, and also participates in, in this economy. And I'll tell you that when you think about, you know, some of the entrepreneurs that come out from maybe more privileged backgrounds, you're not really thinking about, hey, how can I grow a company, but also help my community as well, right? And she's doing that. And the triple win is that she's growing a company that we believe will do fantastically well. She's making a huge impact in supporting the clean energy transition and helping the community. And so those are the type of early stage investments in entrepreneurs that we want to support. What we're able to do is bring together our LPs and investor partners mostly utilities across the U.S. We have other investors like Microsoft who are part of our fund that are now supporting Camille in our product, in our platform, in our go-to-market strategy, and most important, what I call a good dollar in making sure that you know she's participating with these companies. So we are helping grow that with her and many others that we're looking at. So that's part of what we're doing. And then the other piece to mention is realizing that in order to have this, you know, participate fully in the shift that small businesses are really critical and really underpin any economy that you're trying to build. So we also have a, as part of our fund, a credit piece of our fund where we're giving non-dilutive capital to diverse supply chain companies that are tier one, tier two, that are supporting the clean energy transition and supporting utilities as a whole. It's really important that we bring those people along and those companies along as we're facing or trying to solve some of the challenges that we see ahead. So what we're trying to do there is provide capital credit capital to create regional and national tier one, tier two suppliers in market. And then we also have a portion of our investments, but also our support in support of the ecosystem. So a lot of the work that I'm doing also extends to HBCUs, really focused on making sure that we're supporting the different accelerators across the country. As a matter of fact, one of the accelerators we partnered with is called Techstars Energy Accelerator. It's not in Silicon Valley, it's in Birmingham, Alabama, and they are recruiting some of the best energy, clean energy companies across the country, out of that part of the country. So that's what we're doing at the Elevate Future Fund, making sure that we're not only supporting the ecosystem, but providing capital to to businesses and companies and startups to participate and get a huge, huge economic opportunity. Great. Fascinating. And thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you a little bit about your own personal experiences because you're communicating with so many people that may have had shared experiences or very different experiences. You've lived many different parts of the U.S. You've lived in other countries. 
And I want to ask about your own personal experiences. You know, when faced with discrimination personally, how have you been able to overcome some of those situations? And how do you pass that experience along on to others that you talk with? Yeah, that's a great question. I will tell you, like probably most of us and all of us, you know, we've all faced discrimination in, in some form or fashion, uh, some sort of bias in career. I think early on for me, it kind of went in a couple of different stages. You know, first, I, I just didn't know it, especially when you experience it when you're so young. You don't really know what you're facing or you didn't realize, you don't realize that you are unlike others being treated differently. I think my first experience with racism was, I think it was, I was about probably 11, 12 years old. I remember raising money for the PTA. And so, you know, we went out, you know, you had those little brochures and we'll go sell all these candies and, and stuff. Yep. Cool. 12 years old, or, you know, me and a couple of kids would canvass our neighborhood. I was the only black kid in that group. And I remember knocking on doors and, and this was a white neighborhood that I was in and I was batting zero on being able to get a sale. And one lady called me some names and called the police on me. And it wasn't that I was, I was leaving my house and, and really walking home rather dejected when a police officer came up behind me and, and flashed his lights and basically interrogated me on the street and asked me what I was doing. I told him I was walking home and, you know, he told me that there was a disturbance in the neighborhood and, and asked me if I was, you know, what I was doing in people's homes. <laughs> so I just showed him the hell out of just trying to make a sale. And so that kind of stuck with me. And for me, I never, I never knocked on any more houses. And even to the day, if I have to go into a neighborhood that, that I'm not familiar with, I, I have a lot of intrepidation and knocking on, knocking on a door. And even in, in school, I, I still remember vividly my math teacher geometry class and uh, I think it was, I was one of three blacks in the class and she at the end of the course she was talking to each student about hey I think you need to move on to do more and she told me I'd done good enough and I, I really took offense to that and I ended up because of that I used that for fuel so mm-hmm. I think early on once I started to realize what was going on I, I started to use that to fuel to help me to prove wrong now I think you know it's, you know as I've encountered in a, more recently in life, you know, you just become more aware. And it's one of those things where you just have to assess the situation and react. I think now for me, I, I'm trying to raise my voice to understand how to recognize it. My yeah. young son at the age of seven, he was at school and he'd been called names already. He, somebody had written the N-word in, in a playground. So they kind of know and it's starting to experience it now. So it's that conversation that I talk and, and knowing situationally how to manage it. And what I tell them a lot and what I also tell myself is, is not to let someone else change my course. You know, yeah, it's your yeah. ability to see who I am and see me truly, that's on that. But I still think those biases, you know, it may, it may not be upfront racism, but those biases still exist. I know, you know, when I was raising money for the startup globally that I created, you know, spending some time in Silicon Valley, where you enter in rooms with VCs that don't look like you, it was daunting. And yeah. I think one of the things that plagues our industry is this notion of pattern recognition and funding bias, where, you know, you have to look a certain way, come from a certain school, or have a certain background to be able to get to get funding. And I remember being just sort of rejected over and over. And one instance in particular, I had uh, one of the uh, employees that worked with me, he was white, and, and he and I would go to some of these meetings. And I had a VC that would not look at me in the eye the entire time we were talking. And he would look at my my white coworker 
who worked for me and who asked me questions. And the guy would actually like look at me and look at him like, hey, like the guy, he's sitting, he's standing, he's sitting right next to you. Why don't you ask him the question? And so I think that's part of what I take into the role that I have now is, is being able to recognize and appreciate uh, and identify with these founders and, and really be an advocate for what they're doing and in our own way, have the right kind of conversations to get them prepared for what they're about to encounter or this journey that they're on. Yeah, Anthony, do you do you often hear from some of these early founders and folks that you work with that they encounter the same things too? Yeah, no, I mean, it still persists today. And I think that's why you have the numbers that you see. I mean, if you, if you again, you know, 1% of African-Americans get VC funding. And I would dare say that when you saw the dot-com boom going on, I could bet you that there were a lot of uh, people of color who had some great ideas in the tech space that just never saw the light of day, right? And so yeah. I don't exclusively came out of just some of the patterns that we've seen invest, investment go towards. So, yeah, no, I think that's that's part of it, which is why I think it's more it's really important. And, and while I tell you what I do see, what I do see is, and this is the part that gives me just a lot of delight and joy, is you know part of my job every day is talking to just incredible founders. When we get on these calls and then we get on a Zoom call. Because uh, mm-hmm. we don't travel as much anymore. When we see each other, you can see the relief on the face. You can see people who are not having to code switch on a call and can really just be their authentic selves in pitching their idea, talking about what they're doing, and see that being reciprocated. And I think that's that's very relieving. Mm, tremendous. Tremendous to even think about all the past few years of just, you know, you've described it as monumental achievements, you know, in American innovation that don't get that credit you know, don't get attached to that, those, those tremendous moments where tremendous even wealth creation has occurred as a result. So thank you for highlighting so much of that. And thank you for sharing, you know, your own personal experiences and also sharing them with others. You mentioned the light, that light and that excitement that makes you sort of go at it again and then also help others. Where do you think you learned that from? What inspired that besides your own personal drive? Was it family or was it somebody you've worked with before in the past or maybe a combination? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it comes from a number of different places. I think first and foremost, it comes from the opportunities that exist ahead, right? And knowing that you have a role, a small role to, to help them do that. So I think there's just a tremendous amount of responsibility that I feel, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to be part of the fund that I manage now, but also part of Energy Impact Partners. I mean, they, they saw early on the importance of providing a focus on this issue. And more than just being performative and just talk about it, you know, just build dollars and play, how LPs came together. And one of the things that actually made me feel good about joining Energy Impact Partners is that even when I joined the fund last year, the notion of, of the Elevate Future Fund actually started in 2019. So I was glad that it wasn't a direct reaction to what we saw in 2020, certainly fueled by it, but that was important for me. So, you know, I think part of that just comes from the obligation. The other is what I've been exposed to in the past. I've had just a tremendous amount of mentors that have been part of my life that are a source of inspiration because of the opportunities that they gave me, whether it be my time working at Southern Company or some of the mentors who've basically helped raise me in the, in the professional space that I get that from. But I think by and large, it's really just when I talk to founders. When you see people who are like grinded, who are hustling, who are looking to create something great and new, then you see that passion is infectious. And especially when it's aligned with something that I care a ton about, which is the environment. I mean, it's literally, I feel like I have the greatest job right now in being able to support 
people of color in this, you know, really important work. So that's that's a lot of work and inspiration and, and energy from is, is the people that I interact with every day. That's great. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for that, Anthony. All right. So we are three men that are married and all with kids. Anthony, work-life balance. Give us some secrets. Tell us, how do you handle it all? <laughs> well, yeah, if I had the secrets, man, I think I'd be uh, I'd probably be brilliant at this point. But, you know, <laughs> I don't have any answers. But I'll tell you this, though. I've stopped thinking about it as this, you know, either or. At least that's kind of how sometimes it's per- perceived in my head. Like you have to, you know, you know, work in life balance that you have to do. I more think about it more so as, as a lifestyle and a lifestyle that that recognizes the elements that are important for the season of life that you're in, right? So it's a conversation with your kid, with your family and your wife. And it says, I'm starting a new career and I'm going to have to kind of grind a little bit harder than I did where I was prior, right? But then, you know, prioritizing time with my kids and prioritizing my health, which is part of my 2020 goals, you know, sorry, 2022 goals is part of that. So for me, it's more of a lifestyle. And I try not to get into this, you know, back and forward, you know, how much am I working? How much am I yeah, spending time? But it's more like, hey, what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? And try to fit those things in for the season of life that you're, you're in. Right now, I've got two boys that are young, 11 and 8. So I actually appreciate the opportunity to spend more time with them now and prioritizing the, the time with them, especially in these formative ages that they're in and, and being present in their lives. Thanks for that. Really appreciate it. What advice would you give to the founder that's out there that has a startup business that's seeking a round of funding and has a meeting coming up with you in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> great, great question. If they've got a meeting coming up with me in two weeks, I would have hoped that they would have done research on our fund and really you know, our thesis around investment and make sure there's alignment there that can be articulated. I think I would also make sure that they are thinking about what they want and understanding that capital works in a lot of different ways. And so not to really fall into the, the general paradigm of I need to go raise money, but how is this capital going to work for you? What is it this capital is going to fuel? How are you going to use this capital? And what I tell a lot of folks now is, especially in this environment, if you've got a good idea, a decent idea, you can probably get capital from anywhere else. I think part of the question now is really, what can this investor do for you? How can this investor help grow and support you? Is this the right fit, right? And not every dollar from investors is a great dollar. You want to make sure that you have that alignment, and that goes both ways. And much like marriage, as you mentioned earlier, when you take an investor dollar, you are you get married in a way. And so you want to make sure that you've done your homework to study that part of the relationship and understand what exactly that you want out of this. But I will tell you, if you're an entrepreneur doing some great stuff, these are the things that you just want to have a really strong handle on and making sure that you are you're first and foremost looking out for what's the best interest for you and the company that you're, you're building. Appreciate that advice. All right. Now, fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast. Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging because those are just way too boring. Oh, man. Yeah, I think you just wiped me out then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, wrap. Done. We're good. <laughs> So I think my probably my most favorite app outside of that is Sonos, my Sonos app. Love it on the weekends. A great way to start a Saturday morning listening to music in the house. Recently, my Apple Fitness Plus app that I use to track my fitness and workouts. And sorry, I got to throw in a work one. I use LinkedIn, the LinkedIn app quite a bit. So 
Yeah, those are probably my top. All good. Yep. Awesome. Anthony Oni, how can our audience sort of follow you or reach out and get in touch? What's a good way to, to stay in touch with you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way. Maybe you guys can post it in the show notes, but Anthony Oni is the best way to find me on LinkedIn. I am not on Twitter at all, but LinkedIn. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing at Energy Impact Partners, I invite you to come to the website, energyimpactpartners.com, and you can learn more about what we're doing to help transition our economy to a more cleaner uh, world. Excellent. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us, Anthony. Anthony of Elevate Future Fund and Energy Impact Partners. Had a lot of fun talking with you and, and learning a lot more. For all of you listening, thanks again for joining us for another great episode. And you can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcasts and look for the logo. Thanks again. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you.